Amazingly saved. Two weeks ago, I, I asked you to answer a fill-in-the-blank. I'll put it back up on the screen. Just invited our community to fill-in-the-blank. If you're not blank, you're not saved. Now, that morning, we're kind of, it's kind of like this morning, kind of, kind of trying to rush. We're a little behind in what we try to you know, honor our time together. So I kind of rushed along. But there were some really great responses given to those. I'll just remind you of the ones that I remembered. Sometimes we'll hear people say, if you're not baptized, then you're not saved. Or sometimes people will say, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. Or others might say, if you're not attending church meetings, you're not participating in Bible studies, you're not tithing, all the things that are wrapped up in what we think of church being, then you're not saved. And then there was this statement, if, if you're not confessing the lordship of Jesus, then you're not saved. And the reason I, I kind of asked that question is because we're in Acts 15 and there are these folks that showed up that said, hey, if you're not circumcised, you're not saved. So I was trying to give us a hand. I just trying to, I mean, pulling circumcision out of the air and talk, that's just like, well, we don't, what, where, when is that ever in our conversation? It's not. And so I was just trying to communicate that sometimes what we do is we make our doing of something more important than God's giving. Think about that for a minute. Sometimes we make our doing of something more important than God's giving. So, is there anything wrong with baptism? No. Do, do we baptize people? Yes. But we baptize not that they would be saved, but they've been saved. And they're doing something out of obedience. It's not adding to their salvation. It, they're wonderfully, amazingly saved. Is there, is, there, is, there, is there anything like wrong about speaking in tongues? Is that a legitimate gift? Sure. Yeah, it's one of the, the gifts of the Spirit. When we're an empowered people, some of us are going to pray and speak in tongues. That's, yeah, nothing wrong with that. But... It's the result of salvation. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not an indication of whether I'm saved or not. Again, even a good thing can become more important than God's gift. Attending church meetings. I mean, do we value that? Yeah, I mean, we show up every week. We value it. Is it an end? Of, no, it's not the end in itself. I mean, it has its place. But it doesn't save us. Our doing is not more important than God's giving. And probably the, the, the one thing that was really misunderstood and why I wanted to go over this is that, and I know at least one person really misunderstood. And out of my background, uh, probably 20 years ago, there was this huge conversation about you must confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. 
It's not good enough to just confess him as Savior. He must be your Lord. So there's this whole controversy and a whole brouhaha about that. Do I have to confess the Lordship of Jesus before I'm saved? No. My doing of that is not more important than God's giving. Think about the twelve. Did they follow Jesus with a confession at the very get-go? When Jesus showed up at the, at the Sea of Galilee and said, Come follow me, they, they, they followed him. Oh, yes, Master, Lord Jesus, Messiah, King of Israel will follow you. Is that what they said? If, if my calcul I don't know, maybe my calendar's off. But I would say it was like three years into this thing when finally Peter said, You are Messiah. You are the Lord. Is it important that all of us get to the point of recognizing that Jesus is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords? He is the Messiah. He is the... Is that important? Yes. But does that save us? No. Our doing of even good things doesn't save us. That can be the result of something amazing happening in our lives. Just like circumcision. Is circumcision important to, especially, the Jew? Yes. It means everything. It's, it's, it's entering into the Abrahamic covenant. And I don't know this for sure. I'm, I'm trying to dig around... I've got a friend who is a messianic theologian and so I'm sending him emails and he's sending me books to read. So I, I got a long ways to go. He's already telling me that some of my resources are a little old. So I'm thinking, okay, I got to kind of update here. So I don't, I don't know exactly, but, but this, this is, I'm thinking, again, maybe this is not right. You can, again, I'm, you can correct me. But I don't think there is within Judaism anything about individual salvation. It's the covenant people. It's always the group that are saved. And so in the mind of these Judeans, these Jews that come to Paul in Antioch and say, you must, the, these Gentiles that you're telling, they're, they're, they got, they got to get in on the covenant of Abraham or they can't be saved. That was just their mindset. But again, is the doing of circumcision... Entering into the Abrahamic covenant more important than God's gift? No. But is it valid? Is it, is it important? Sure. It's really easy for us to put our doing before God's giving. That's, there's just that thing within us. Anybody want to call it out? What is that thing within us that just really likes... I think it's called pride. How'd you say, how'd you know that so quickly? (laughs) I got it. We all got it. So it wasn't long before some Jews showed up from Judea insisting everyone must be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. 
And Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet at once in fierce opposition. Protest. The Jews that were there were Pharisees just like Paul was. Barnabas was a Levitical priest. As a Pharisee and as a, as a Levitical priest who are now following Jesus, both of them would have been circumcised. But they jumped up to their feet in protest. So why? Why the protest? Now there's a little humor in this slide as you... I don't want you to miss it. (laughs) Kind of sick, I know, but you know. (laughs) How do you talk about this subject, you know? So why the protest? You know, why? So let's go on with the story. In Acts 15, verse 2 to verse 9. The church decided to resolve the matter by sending Paul and Barnabas and a few others to put it before the apostles and leaders in Jerusalem. After they were sent off and on their way, they told everyone they met as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria about the breakthrough to the non-Jewish, the Gentile outsiders. Everyone who heard the news cheered. It was terrific news. Everybody cheer. Yay, yay, great news, yay. When they got to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were graciously received by the whole church, including the apostles and leaders. They reported on their recent journey and how God had used them to open things up to the outsiders. You know, they probably cheered then. Let's cheer again. Yay, this is great news. And then... Some Pharisees who were following Jesus, just like Paul, stood up and they said their peace. They'd become believers, but they continued to hold to the hard party line of the Pharisees. You have to circumcise the pagan converts. You must make them keep the law of Moses. The apostles and leaders called a special meeting to consider the matter, and the arguments went on and on, back and forth, getting more and more heated. Can anybody relate to that? Sounds like the way we live out the faith today. Now, the positive is, in Antioch, there were some steps towards reconciling this issue. Obviously, there was disagreement between those that were following Jesus. What are we going to do with new believers who are not Jewish? So the church in Antioch didn't avoid addressing the disagreement. May I just ask you, how often do we avoid? <laughs> How often is it difficult for us to have a conversation about the things that we disagree with? Yeah, but that was a good step. And so they sought to resolve the disagreement by seeking the counsel of the apostles and the leaders of really the mother church of Antioch. The Antiochian fellowship in Syria was a church plant from Jerusalem. So they went back to the mother church. And the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem invited everybody to say their peace. And then they even 
they called us. Okay, we know this is a big issue, so we're going to call a special meeting. And then that special meeting to resolve an issue, things reached an impasse. The arguments went on and on, back and forth, getting more and more heated. Can you relate to that? Beating each other over the head with the same book. Why are we doing this? This is insane. What's going on here? Arguing, 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 arguing. And in that, Peter stands up. Would you like to stand up? Peter took the floor. Friends, you well know that from early on, God made it quite plain that he wanted the pagans to hear the message of his good news and embrace it. And not in any second hand or roundabout way, but first hand straight from my mouth. And God, who can't be fooled by any pretense on our part, but always knows the person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave him to us. He treated the outsiders exactly as he treated us insiders, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. So why are we now trying to out-God God? Loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too. Don't we believe that we are saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us just as he did those from beyond our nation? So what are we arguing about? There was dead silence. No one said a word. Please have a seat. I believe that what's going on in our past history is something very, very relevant for you and I today. So I just want to jump right from the past into the present. So for our community, what can we glean, what can we learn, what can we put into practice from this historical event? Number one, God still wants pagans and outsiders. You see, we're now the insiders. And those folks out there are the outsiders. God still wants anyone outside of faith to hear the message of this good news and embrace it. He still wants the message of salvation, His goodness, His kindness, His mercy to be delivered to people that don't know about that message yet. And notice number two, He wants the, quote, pagans and outsiders to hear the message firsthand from us. 
not secondhand, not through some track that is cheesy, not through some radio preacher, not through the TV. If I could be so bold to say, who do I look at? I'll close my eyes. Through you. Through you. Through us. And if we're going to deliver a message of God's mercy and His grace and His love and His goodness and His kindness and His mercy, we're going to do that firsthand. Guess what? We're going to have to be friends with people that are pagans and outsiders. Imagine that. I think my number one prayer for the church global and maybe even more in the Western world, is that we could regain the reputation of Jesus. He was the friend of the the pagan. He was the friend of the tax collector and the sinner. And that's not our reputation right now. So could could we come to agreement today? Could we? I don't know how to do that, but let's do that. Let's agree we need to do that. God treats outsiders just like insiders. God does not play favorites. Did you notice? I, I, there's, two, there's two sentences in this chapter that I just, I, just, I just woke up all night thinking about them. This is the first one. God begins at the very center of who we were. God begins at the very center of who we were and works from that center outward, cleaning up our lives as we trust and believe him. So when we start making demands about get your act together before you start following Jesus, we're ludicrous. We're nuts. That's not what's happened to us. I mean, how many of us have a story of God cleaning up our life even now? I mean, I've now known Jesus. I'm losing count. But he's still cleaning up my life from the inside out. It's not through regulation. It's not through law. It's from the Holy Spirit who's transforming me from the inside out. And I'm becoming more and more and more the person that God originally created. Some of you, those of you that know me, you know you have to be patient with me. You know I haven't arrived yet. But you haven't lost hope that I'm still trusting and I'm believing in Jesus who's changing me. And so he wants to do the same thing with all of us, but everybody else on the planet. So if we lose sight of that, then again, we create this insider mentality that we're the good ones and they're the bad ones. Or we're, we're, we're really you know, God's favorites and God hates them. That's not true. So anybody can walk through that door. Anybody. Doesn't matter what the baggage is. And they're welcome. And our hope is 
that just like that just like God amazingly introduced himself to me at my worst in high school, he'll do the same with everybody that I know. And we don't start out being perfect. Actually, we don't end up being perfect until we die and we, we are resurrected. Then it'll happen. So it's not going to happen in this age. There can be improvement. There should be improvement. But we can, I mean, this back and forth. He begins at the very center of who we were with all our fears, with all our foibles, with all our failures. And he works from that center out. Cleaning up our lives as we continue to trust him and believe. So it leads to the next question. Why do we try to out-God God? Why, why do we try to, to, to make new believers conform to the rules that we ourselves don't even do. We, I mean, we all know. We know the rules that we break. And then we turn around and we try to enforce those rules on us. Why? Why, are we, why? What are we doing? I think it's because we've lost this belief. This is the other sentence that just stops me. And I hope it will you too. Peter says this, don't we believe that we are saved because the master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us? I mean, Peter's story was, you know, I, I, I heard about this guy, Jesus, I caught, maybe I caught some of his teaching. I think that Peter had, had been introduced to Jesus before Jesus just showed up and said, follow me. But Peter knew that there was nothing that he had done. Do you remember? Don't touch me, Jesus. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm messed up. Get away from me, Jesus. Don't you know? You're going to catch what I got. And Jesus says, no. Come follow me. So I, I know that I know that Peter, he, he knows. He was amazingly saved because Jesus moved into his life. Peter didn't move into Jesus' life. Jesus moved into his life. And it was only the sheer generosity of Jesus that caused salvation. It caused him to begin to live a different way. Don't we believe that we're saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us? just as he did those beyond our nation. So Peter says, as a Jew, 
Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved into my life. He saved me. He showed me there's a better way to live now. He showed me that as I live now, it's going to be a continuum into the next age. Life is better because I'm now following Jesus. And I want everybody, not just Jew, but also Gentile, to experience that. So let me ask you, because this is what it really comes down to. Is this what we believe? Is this what we believe? And if this is what we believe, is this what we live? And if this is what we live, is this the message that we're delivering to our generation? Do I have to be baptized to be saved? No. Baptism's a good thing. But how about an amazing encounter with the sheer generosity of Jesus initiating relationship with people? I said yes to Jesus because Jesus initiated the relationship with me. Think about your own story. How did Jesus initiate with you? How did Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity move toward you and invite you to follow him? That's not, well, I started going to church when I was three. No, okay, great. But what about Jesus moving into your life? Well, I've kept all the rules. Okay, great. You've been a good kid. Okay, great. But what about this amazing encounter? And that we know that we know, just sheer generosity... And what about a richness of life now? (laughs) Salvation is not all about the future. It's about now, how we live now. Peter lived life courageously until the moment that he was hung upside down. On a cross, because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified like his master. That is courage. You can do whatever you want to with my body, you can't kill me. That's courage. How are we living today? I want the amazing and the sheer generosity of Jesus moving into our lives to give to us the best quality of life now and forever to be what makes us, I don't know what, what, go to the moon? I don't know. How how do you even say it? So would you like to stand with me? I 
I have just two questions. One is, I have a little cup of coffee. If you had your cup of coffee across the table, it's just you and me, and I asked you, do you know that you know that you know that you have been amazingly out of the sheer generosity of Jesus saved to live life now in its fullness into the next age? Would your answer be yes or no? If the answer is yes, then I hope, like me, you'll just kind of walk through the day. Wow, amazing love. Wow, sheer generosity. Wow, wow. If the answer is no, his amazing and sheer generosity is just there for the eye. It's just like, Jesus, I really want to get in on this. This is, this is too good to pass up. And it's just a matter of saying, yes, Jesus, please move into my life. The other thing is, what message are we telling our generation? Because we are the spokespeople. Oh, no, 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 I mean, I mean, yeah, 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 us, us, it's all of us. In our own way, with our own personality, I mean, it's not, we don't all have to read the same script. People don't pray the same prayers. You, do, you know that. So, Lord, help us to see. Help us to feel. Help us to hear. Help us even just to smell. You're amazing movement into our lives, the sheer generosity that you pour out upon us. Help each of us and all of us to know without any doubt that you're standing right here and you're saying, come, come and follow me. And for those of us that say, well, let me clean up my act, Lord, first, you're saying, don't, you don't need to do that. I'll take care of that. Just come follow me. And so we invite you, Jesus, to continue it from the very center of who we are, who we were, continue to transform us. Then, Holy Spirit, I would ask that there would be a way that you would empower every one of us to deliver your invitation to our generation. I pray that you would empower us to do that this week. <laughs> that we would have the opportunity to share your story, to share the amazement that we have and who you are and how you move into our lives and how you invite us into something better than what we have. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to deliver that message to our generation. And I, and I, do, I pray that that even you empowering those in this room today, that our voice would be louder to the, than the voices that are confusing the issue for our generation. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us. It's in your name that I pray.